Well, it's great to be back here at Grace uh, with all my family, friends, old friends, new friends. It's great to be back here at Grace after a patriotic Sunday, uh, following the 4th in uniform. And it's always great to come back to a church that really invested and nurtured and cared for me growing up in all my years that I've, I've been here. And so I really appreciate it. I have a lot of fond memories here. I, re I remember when my dad was a pastor here, I think I was like one when I came. And maybe a few years later, my mom and dad had both left the church and got home to the parsonage on Union Street and then realized that I gave him the old slipperoo and I was gone. And they were like, where's David? I don't know. I thought it was you. I don't know. I thought it was you. Well, there I was. I gave him the slipperoo, ended up back in the nursery. I was playing with the toys and it was probably about four or five years before I started talking again in years of therapy. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, so they found me, got me back home. I was fine. And then it was probably like two years later, one of my fondest memories uh, is standing there. You'll see me taking a knee at the parsonage on Union Street. I was just six years old when I asked the Lord Jesus to come into my heart and save me from my sins. And so when I joined the army at the age of 42, yeah, you can join the army in your 40s, believe it or not, I, I did. And uh, I went through boot camp with, with 20 year olds and 25 year olds and did okay. And so there I took a knee thanking God for the work that he did in my heart and life. And that was a great memory. Following that, just into my teen years, I remember another really important step in my life. It's this picture on the right with me standing on the road there at Shady Lane. Anybody know where Shady Lane is? Okay, a few. Well, I worked at Long John Silver's. Is that place still around here? Yeah, okay. I used to work there. My sisters called me fishy. And so one night my parents were gone and uh, they were on vacation. I think my sister with Michelle was gone and I had no ride home. I actually had an oil spill and the boss was really mad at me. So she made me stay late to clean the place up and I was, had no ride home I walked all the way from Cresona all the way down here to Long Run down here, went over Shady Lane. And as I was coming over the hill on Shady Lane, I was 16, there was a white van following me and he turned off his lights and was just creeping slowly behind me at about 50 yards for a while. And I thought, this is creepy, okay? I could just imagine my arms and legs getting cut off being thrown in a ditch, you know, nobody would find me, find my face on a milk carton. So I started running. Well, the car sped up a little bit and started following me, followed me to the edge of this road here that I took a picture at. And from there, I, I probably broke every track and field record there was and ran all the way home, got underneath my covers, got a machete that my sister bought me on her, uh, her uh, mission trip to Belize, my Pop Pop's old empty shotgun, no shells in it, put that under the covers, grabbed the Bible that my mom had bought me and a flashlight and began to read through Romans and was very convicted over my sins and rededicated my life to the Lord. So again, when I joined the army, I had gone back to that place to thank God for a concerned guy in a white van worried about a young 16 year old punk walking home at night, maybe doing some kind of crazy things. But God used the figments of my imagination that day to get me back on track. Two years later, I would end up going off to Bible College, Bob Jones University. But 
One of my favorite memories from here was working in the live church nativity scene. Anybody remember that? Raise your hand. A lot of people in the earlier service, okay. A lot of people. Now, I remember one of my fond memories of growing up here were the, the Potts family. Uh, their parents were my Sunday school teachers. Uh, they were, uh, the Ref Snyders were my, in my nursery. They were also my Sunday school teacher down at the end. Uh, the Reicherts invested in me. Um, many, many people poured into my life here. And I thank everyone who did that because uh, your work was not in vain. Well, that live in the church nativity scene, they said, uh, the Reichert said, hey, we need you to go out into the country, pick up some sheep, bring them back. We need sheep. So my brother and I and my cousin, Jamie Reichert, chased the sheep down a hill, over a creek, up the hill. And we did this back and forth many times to no avail. No understanding of sheep that they don't come when you chase them. Finally, the farmer came out with some food, fed them, got them all to gather around. We got them into a, a spot, and we were able to tackle a, a fat, overweight, pregnant sheep. <laughs> well, I was stuck in the back of the pickup truck with this sheep, which fell over on me several times, crushing my leg. Managed to get there, and I, Mr. Uh, Bodenberg, Lynn Bodenberg, reminded me. He goes, I remember you. You were one of those wise men out there dancing with two other guys. We had to come out several times and settle you down because the wise men don't do the moonwalk. <laughs> and so I remember coming back in. It was real cold one year. And Catherine Yob looks at all the boys. All the Marys are cold. We need a Mary. Boys, suck it up. I need you to be a Mary. And guess what? I blinked my eyes and all the other guys were gone. It was like the rapture happened. Mary, uh, Mrs. Flieger, and, uh, not Mrs. Flieger, uh, Catherine Yob grabs me by the back of the neck. She goes, you're Mary. Put this on, duck your head and go out. Again, it, it was years of therapy and talking before I could ever recover from that again. One of my great memories from here. Many, many memories. All of that to say, uh, God prepared me for a great work. I went to Columbus, Ohio to pastor. Uh, pastored there for eight years. And, uh, and then the Lord led me to chaplaincy. And I became a hospital chaplain at a children's hospital for 10 years. And then the Lord led me to the VA hospital. So I've been in the army now eight years, just got back from a short-term deployment to Germany, where I had many opportunities to really talk to different people about the Lord there. And it was a great, great, wonderful work. And I'll talk a little bit about some of that a little bit later. So there's a picture of me praying at a memorial service when I was a captain just a few years ago in Columbus, Ohio. God has done a work in my heart. Today, I want to bring to you a message that I entitled uh, The Year of Jubilee, and it's how it applies to you. And this is taken from Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 27. If you have your Bibles with you, you can bring them out. If not, I'll have the verses up on the screen for you, okay? And this is really one of my, my favorite uh, passages that I really just grown to love recently after watching the video series The Chosen. They do an excellent job on this. I am a big critic of when they have things right, when they have things wrong, and it drives my wife nuts when, when I'm pointing out all this nut, the bad stuff. But actually, my family's here. I'm going to have them stand. They're right up here in the front. Please stand. Oh, yeah, they're shaking their heads. No, this is my family up here in the front. Oh, yeah, there we go. They're here today. Go ahead and sit down. Well, one of the reasons I like this passage on Nazareth is because 
of, it was a military city. Most people don't know that. There was a garrison of Roman soldiers stationed there, probably about 600 of them. Nazareth wasn't a large city. And one of the people said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, Jesus did. But Jesus was very familiar with military and military customs and laws and saluting and honoring and respect and duty. And so that's one reason this is a cool passage. Another reason is this is where Jesus' was hometown was from. And today I'm back in my hometown, right? How cool is that? And Jesus' mother lived there. And my mom still lives in this city. But by now the news of Jesus' miracles are reaching the town. Everybody knows he's been healing people. They want to see who this guy is. Wow, what's happened in the three years he's been, in the few years he's been gone, he lived here nearly 30 years. What's happening? And so Jesus goes back to his hometown synagogue and he's invited to speak, uh, just like I am. And, I, and he comes in and they hand him the passage to speak. Now, Pastor Ted didn't do that to me. He said, whatever you want to speak on is fine. But Jesus comes and they hand him Isaiah and they said, you're going to speak from Isaiah. And he says, okay. And his finger providentially and sovereignly points to two verses from Isaiah 61. And he reads that to them, and he drops a bomb on them. This is going to be the most shocking message they've ever heard in a synagogue before, and they're going to be angry. Bible scholars call this the year of Jubilee message. And so I want to talk about its application for you. And so here you'll see a picture of somebody blowing the trumpet for the year of Jubilee. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. And he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, his hometown, and on the Sabbath day, and he went into the synagogue as was his custom. So he did this commonly. He would go into a synagogue, they would hand him a, a roll and he would read it. So he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the phrase, the year of the Jubilee. That's what that means, the year of the Lord's grace, his favor, the year of the Jubilee. So the first thing I want you to really learn from this verse is that the year of Jubilee is for you. That's the theme of this message. But my first point for you is salvation is for everyone. That's what Jesus is going to say in those verses that I just read. And the first group of people he says that he brought salvation to is the poor, the poor. Jesus begins with an overriding declaration of who he came to save, who he came to die for, the poor. Now this Greek word for poor is a word that simply refers to a beggar, someone who's homeless, who has nothing in and of himself. He has no home, no clothes, no money. Unless somebody intervenes, this homeless person will die. And so Jesus says he comes to this person who is completely dependent on upon another person to be saved, to live, to have life. Jesus is painting a picture of what it means to come to him broken, empty-handed and nothing to earn your way to heaven. The second group of people, and I combine these kind of into two, uh, is the poor, I mean the prisoners and the blind. The prisoners and the blind. So he says, 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty or freedom to the captives and the recovering of the sight of sight to the blind. Now the word captives is a word in the Greek which means to be led by a spear. They were prisoners of war. Part of my mission in going over to Germany recently was to develop a religious area analysis on Russia and Russian Orthodox uh, believers and explain to a one-star, two-star general of how, as a chaplain and as an army, if they were our prisoners, what kind of religious needs would they have in our prison camps or our detainee camps? And so I briefed them and actually I was, they were so impressed by this stuff that I was sharing with them that they had me brief a four-star general, which was pretty cool. I was pretty nervous, I'll tell you that. But Jesus came to people who were prisoners of war. That's us. We're in a war and Satan wants your soul. He will imprison you. He will blind you to darkness. He will rob you of everything in your bank. He will move you to a place where you are addicted and you are blind and held captive to sins of this world. Jesus came to set us free when we recognize that we need a savior and we have to turn from our sin. Jesus came to set us free. So he came to the prisoners and the blind. You know that being blind uh, was the only miracle that Jesus would perf uh, perform multiple times in the New Testament. And it was the one that was prophesied twice in the Old Testament that the Messiah would spe specifically do. So when he said he would cure the blind, his audience knew he was proclaiming to be the Messiah. Okay, so we got to tuck that away because we're going to get that in a little bit. And so he came to the, the prisoners and the blind and the poor. And then he came to a fourth group, the oppressed. This word for oppressed uh, is a word which means broken in pieces. It means to be crushed. And what Jesus is saying is he's come to those who have squandered uh, life's resources or have been squashed by life's circumstances. Something hit them out of the blue in their life they never saw coming. They were crushed, devastated. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was a loss of a loved one. Maybe it was someone that died in an accident or a child that died and you didn't know how you were going to get through this and you were crushed and you were ready to give up. You were ready to just die. And so Jesus says he came to those who are crushed. He came to those who are spiritually bankrupt. He came to those who are blind. He came to those who are captive to their sins and he wants to set them free. You know, one of the reasons I love being an army chaplain is because all four groups of those people bang on my door. I get calls in the night. I get texts in the middle of the day. I have people coming to my door at the VA hospital. When I'm on base, I'll get 20 to 30 counselings in over a weekend of people who want to talk to me about life circumstances that have them crushed. I don't have to go far. I don't even go out there and look for them. They all come to me because they have nowhere else to look but up. And that was true when I was in the children's hospital. A mom and a dad there with a child that's dying, never wanted anything to do with God. I walk into a room and they say, pray. <laughs> you know, they want to be connected to God. They want a miracle. They're crushed. They need him. They know they can't deliver themselves themselves. And so that happens to me quite frequently in the army. So there's a picture of me on the right when I started the job at the VA hospital. I love it because I'm dealing with veterans. 
They're so much easier than young parents in a children's hospital. Now, I love that. Uh, but I noticed as the, over the 10 years that the religion among young adults has gone down. When I walk into a room towards the end of my 10 years there, they, had, they didn't know what a chaplain was. You know, I'd have to explain it to them that I'm a pastor. In the VA hospital, everybody who's in the service knows who a chaplain is because they can do great things for them. They come to us. We're the only one in the army, in the military, who has absolute confidentiality. A soldier can tell me he's going to take his life, he's going to blow up the base, he's going to kill one of his family members, and I cannot be called into a courtroom, I can't be called anywhere to testify on their behalf in front of a JAG. I have absolute confidentiality. Now, when that happens, which it has, I will get them to a hospital the best I can and get them to agree to go somewhere to get help. But people in the military are in all four of those categories that I just mentioned and are crushed. They're the oppressed. You'll see a picture of a chaplain down at the schoolhouse with his arm around a soldier who is crushed. If you look down at his feet, you'll notice two empty cartridges. He's obviously killed somebody in war and he needs someone to help him. There's moral injury. There's this guilty conscience that he took somebody's life and God says, thou shalt not murder. In fact, just recently I went to a resilience com uh, uh, conference. I was asked to be a speaker and they all had questions for the chaplain up on this panel. I was like, oh, great. One of the questions was, what do you tell a soldier who tells you it's, it's, it's murder to kill? And how do you explain that? So I had to answer that up there. I did the best I could. I thought it was okay. And he thanked me after it was over. But yeah, they, this soldier here is obviously struggling with the idea of killing somebody and wondering what God thinks about it and feels like he sinned against God. A chaplain's job is to come along somebody else who's suffering, lift them up and point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus here is painting his audience and he's telling them that salvation is for everyone. And the second thing he's going to do is he's going to tell them this, and it's going to shock them. He's going to say, salvation can only come through Jesus Christ, no one else. So there's a picture of Jesus reading the scroll of Isaiah. And in verses 20 through 23, he's going to say this. He's going to read this. Then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. They were stunned. You know, did they, he just say he is... Uh, the Messiah. And then he confirms it. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what they heard was true. He just said he's the Messiah. He healed the blind. That's only something God can do. He came to the poor, the broken. He's setting everybody free. And he announced a year of Jubilee, a year of Jubilee. Now the word Jubilee means uh, blowing of a horn. It comes from a Hebrew word shofar. Uh, a ram's horn. And the, when the year of the, the Jubilee took place, it was on the 50th year. Every 50th year, there was this great celebration called the year of Jubilee. And when it, it was all kicked off on the day of atonement. Now, this wasn't the day of atonement. Jesus announced this, but he called it the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee would begin on the evening of the day of atonement after the lamb was slain. The cross right? That's what he's getting to. It's through Jesus Christ that freedom can come to your life. And here Jesus is saying, this has been fulfilled in your hearing today. And when the year of Jubilee happened, 
what happened was all of your debts were canceled. Anybody have any debt out there? You'd like canceled school debt, uh, mortgages, healthcare bills, maybe our debt canceled on the church here and get the building fund given, you know, that way you could give to the church. Wouldn't that be great? It'd be awesome. Well, Jesus says that all of their debt has been canceled. Anyone who's a prisoner is set free. Anybody who's in bondage to someone else for a bill, that's done. Everybody's on equal playing ground. He announced that to the people and they're listening. And basically what he's saying is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. I'm here. It's beginning right now and it's going to begin in your hearts. So that's the year of the Jubilee. But his audience doesn't believe him. They get upset at him. Why? Well, let's look at the next verse here. All men spoke well of him, and they were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. And they said, isn't this the son of Joseph? They asked, and Jesus said to them, he's reading their minds, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. So what is he saying? So basically, it's like you, all right, out here in the audience. You're the hometown. I come back to the hometown. I announce I'm the Messiah. I announce all your debts have been paid for. You're free to go. You're not in bondage to anyone. And you would say, well, isn't this the guy that used to crawl under the pews? Isn't this the guy that used to stand out on the hill during the Christmas nativity set and play the guitar or do the moonwalk back and forth? Do I really believe this guy? Well, this family, these family and friends in hometown grew up with him for 30 years. Like, he never talked about this stuff before. Why is he talking about it now? And so they're thinking in their minds, well, show us a miracle like you did somewhere else. Then we'll believe you. And Jesus says, physician, heal yourself. And he says, do you hear, do hear in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum? So he's, he's saying that to them. And he's saying, I'm not going to do a miracle for you. You have to take this by faith. I'm not going to prove it to you. You have to walk by faith, not by sight. And so Jesus tells them, salvation is for everyone. Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. And then thirdly, he's going to tell them, and this is where he blows them away in the whole message. If you don't think he blew them away earlier, in verses 25 and through 27, he's going to drop the bomb on them, okay? Just telling you. And so he does. And let's look at these verses. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. None of them was healed or cleansed. Only Naaman the Syrian. What does all this mean? So basically what Jesus is telling them is that salvation is for Gentiles. The two individuals in these verses that we just looked at were the widow of Zarephath who was from Sidon. Does anybody know who was from Sidon? Uh, you can't answer. You were in the first service. <laughs> Neither are you, pastor. All right. Wicked Queen Jezebel. That was her hometown. The most wicked woman in the Old Testament was from this hometown where Elijah performs a miracle and gives her the, the barrel of oil and meal. And so that's all symbolic of Jesus was saying, the people of Israel are doing their own thing. They're not listening to me. 
I'm going to go somewhere else to the Gentiles and give them salvation too. It's for Israel and the Gentiles. Then he comes to the second individual, which is Naaman. Naaman is a military guy. He's a general of the Syrian army who slayed thousands and thousands of Israelite soldiers. Blood is on his hands. He was a very decorated man with a lot of rank. He was a fearful man. He was obviously big, strong, and uh, was feared in all of Israel. But yet, this little servant girl who was from Israel lives with him. You guys remember the story? And she says, hey, if you go to Elisha, you can get healed. You just have to go out of your town, travel by faith. He will heal you. He's like, what else do I have to lose? I'm going to give it a shot. And he listens to the little servant girl. That tells us that God can use children too, right? And he does. He uses children. And so he believes her. He goes. And Elisha says, go down to the Jordan River. It's a really muddy river. Dip in it seven times and you'll be healed. And he argues with him. He's like, well, I want to go to Abana and Afarfar River. And, uh, and get in those clean rivers. And God's ways aren't our ways, right? And God doesn't think like us. So he finally agrees. Nobody can see his leprosy. He's covered with leprosy. But it's all hidden underneath his armor. He takes his armor off. Now everybody knows he has leprosy. He's been hiding it from everybody. Leprosy was incurable. And it was a symbol of sin. He goes down into the river, dips. Nothing happens. He gets angry. He finally does what he's supposed to. He's healed. Jesus uses these two stories to tell a people who were relying on good works to get them to heaven and their own hometown feeling of, I belong to this certain family. I'm from this tribe of Israel. I will go to heaven no matter what. I can still live the way I want to. And Jesus shoots all that down. And he says, Jesus came to save the Gentiles too. How do they react? Well, they take him to the edge of the, out of the synagogue and they push him to a cliff and they're ready to throw him off the cliff and then... Bible scholars speculate, well, how does he move through the crowds without them seeing? And that's where the movie, The Chosen, will maybe say, you know, they all just freeze. Others say he became invisible. We don't know what happened. Those are all good guesses. But he manages to escape, and they tried to kill him. Because he said, salvation is for everyone, including the Gentiles. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ, through me, he's saying. It is through Jesus Christ alone. And then third, he says... It's by grace. It's not by your works, by going to the temple and doing sacrifices. It's only because of God's goodness to you. And so, they listen, but they don't listen. And it would be years before he came back to them again. This message really presents to us a, a powerful picture of the year of Jubilee that Jesus says is still here today for you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... Jesus is saying, this is for you. Are you strapped down with, with finances? Are you being oppressed and crushed by a life circumstance that happened to you that's beyond your control? Are you addicted to a specific sin in your life that you can't get victory over? And we sang about some of this in these songs that, that were beautifully chosen by our worship team today. That sin can be canceled out. Your debts can be paid free all by faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite things to do at the hospital is strike up conversations and turn conversations to spiritual things. And there was a nurse who had the symbol of the uh, serpent on the poles on her shoe. And I said, do you know that came from the Bible? She said, no, what do you mean? I said, 
In the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers 21, uh, Jesus said, whoever looks to the serpent on the pole will look and live and will be healed. And so it was a wonderful story I was able to share with her that gave her things to think about, that that was not something new that was invented for a symbol of being healed, but it's really a symbol of being healed from our sin. And so today it's been wonderful to be with you, and I want to invite you to pray with me as I close the service. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come before your throne. We thank you for the grace that you've given to each of our hearts, for this family and church that you've raised up to fellowship and to worship and to encourage children, and uh, like I was here, to follow the Lord. We pray that you would continue to use grace to point children to the Lord Jesus Christ, to raise and edify other people. We ask that you would be with those today who are feeling crushed by life's circumstances. And I ask that you would draw close to them as they draw close to you. And may they put their faith in you today and find the greatest jubilee and celebration ever as they watch their sin roll away. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.